Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. We were meeting with different directors I always sort of knew I wanted Ali, but we met with directors in the UK as well. And I, I won't name the director, but this one director came in and was like, God, there's so many strap-ons in this show and it, it's so crazy. And I guess that's sort of the point you're making about strap-ons. I was like, I, I, I didn't know. There's like two strap-ons in the show. And it wasn't that I was like, I must make a statement about strap-ons. I'm diking out, you're diking out. Let's dike out together. See what it's all about. Hi, and welcome to Diking Out, a podcast that is asking you to put on a mask and join the uprising if you haven't already. I am Carolyn Bergier. I am Comrade Melody Kamali. There we go. And today we are Diking Out with comedian May Martin. So excited about this. As most of you know, May created and started the show Feel Good, which is out on Netflix and Channel 4. We are big fans of May had such a great time speaking to them. And if you listen to our episode about Feel Good with the director, Ali Pankew, then you're already familiar with May's work. But in addition to talking about the show, we are diking out about the topic of fluidity. So more on that in a little bit. A couple of announcements. For those of you who have been buying our merch on Etsy, thank you so much. It really goes a long way to support the pod, but also to be wearing that merch is great. Tell people to mind their heterosexual business Mm -hmm. or to ask you about your gay or lesbian or bisexual agenda. All three options are up there. We do work with a third-party fulfillment company. We're not screen printing the shirts ourselves, and because of COVID, there are some delays in the shipments, so just know, and they should message that to you when you're ordering, but you wouldn't be getting things as quick as we would normally want you to get them if there wasn't a pandemic and we don't really have any control over that. So just a heads up on that. Melody and I are hoping to put together something for pride. Yeah. I mean, it is seconds away, June. It really (laughs) crept up on us. Yeah. We're in no way prepared. I mean, we're always prepared for pride, but also not prepared to put on a pride event. Put on an event. And we had secured a big deal sponsor just before we went into lockdown. And we were so excited to start putting on events with the sponsor. And we are hoping to partner with them in June. Stay tuned. Yes. Stay tuned (laughs) is the best that we can do right now. But we do want to let you know, like, don't worry. We are planning something. I dipped my toes in the Zoom comedy 
pool last night and it was fun. It was funner than I thought it would be. I enjoyed it. It was good to tell jokes again, even though finding it hard to be funny right now. More on that in a minute. Mm -hmm. We do for this episode, we told you that we've been doing these extra, what we're calling queer questions with our guests. And we did that with Mae Martin and... I think Melody liked the questions part better than the episode. <laughs> yes. Itself. Um, <laughs> but it's a good one. I really came alive once we started recording the Patreon. So sorry, Susans. I was just <laughs> suffering from debilitating menstrual cramps. And I think my mitle had just kicked in when we were recording the Patreon. So if you would like an awake and alive Melody, consider subscribing to that. Yeah. Become, become a patron and then you can hear some very fun extra questions some I put in there that were Canadian especially for May and May was like why are you asking me this <laughs> it's great it was a great time all around another thing that's happening that we want to announce very cool we have a Susan who is putting on a binder drive so they are raising money for chest binders so that people in our community can safely bind their chests and you can reach out on Instagram to the handle at S A A A A V V. I feel like an Italian guy in Brooklyn. A A A. We're binding here. A A A. Where'd your boobs go? So that's S followed by four A's followed by two V's. The binders are free. First come, first serve. So contact them if you would like a binder. And if you want to contribute to this cause, you can donate on Venmo at S-A-V-S-O-U-Z-A-2-3. And the company that is making the binders, they're also having their proceeds go to the Minnesota Freedom Fund. So get on that. It's a great way to help multiple communities, which leads us into the first part of our banter. Everything is terrible. Speaking of communities, we have a particular community under distress right now. Yeah, it is It is hard to be funny today, this week, right now, because we have these, you know, this rampant virus of racism. It's just yes. the news. You know, we would like to think, I hope this doesn't come as a surprise to anybody, that we are first and foremost a comedy podcast. And sometimes, yeah, like Melody said, it's it's hard to be funny. And sometimes I think, well, my role is to be funny and I feel uncomfortable if I can't find the funny in something and if I can't find the funny in tragedy and there are some people who are able to do that right now it's not me I don't think Melody it's you either oh god (laughs) yeah but it is something that we need to talk about the answer isn't not talking about it If you're not fed up, if you're not filled with rage about the way that black people are treated by police, by our government, by vigilantes, by bystanders, by dog walkers, then you're not paying attention. And to not pay attention is to be complicit in that injustice. So don't tell people how to or how not to protest. That's not your job. Stonewall was a riot. And every drink that you've enjoyed safely at a gay bar, any love interest that you've met is because people rioted, because people threw bricks at cops. And what kind of people? Black and brown trans queer folks. 
yes. led those riots. They've done the work over and over. They should have never had to do the work. It's not their responsibility to do their work. If you are white, I'm speaking to our white listeners right now. I hope that many of you are doing the work. The way to dismantle an unjust system is that you you have to step up and you have to do more because obviously what we've been doing is not enough. So ask yourself, what are you willing to give up for this cause? And this is the most important cause. Are you willing to give up your time, your money, your convenience, opportunity, friends, family? You have to do something. Yes, I'm angry. I have a constant sweat stash for the last week. To anyone who's complaining about the looting and the rioting, just know that most of the time white people are looting black culture. Just know that Stonewall was nearly a week of rioting, looting, and violent protests. And that was necessary to get to where we are today. Like I said, we're led by black and brown trans queer folks, and we owe it to that community right now, especially the black community, to show up and to put our money where our mouth is. We don't need to be doing these performative kind of social media posts. If you have just a very liberal group, it's an echo chamber of group of friends and family. Talk to the people who need convincing. I'm just seeing a lot of retweeting to a mass liberal following in my Mm -hmm. (laughs) friend circle. And I I have to wonder how much that counts and impacts what's happening. Yeah. You know, I'm torn on this too, because obviously sometimes when I want to post things or, or share things, I'm like, I don't know if this is helping. I know it's not hurting. So maybe it's worth putting out there. If there's a perspective I think is is interesting or something that might be an aha moment for somebody, then I will retweet it mostly on Twitter. I haven't been. And it's good to share that. Yeah. It doesn't do any bad. I'm, I think I'm thinking of a specific type of white person who, whenever something like this happens, needs to make it known that they're one of the good ones. And that's does nothing. Like you don't need to pat yourself on the back with a Facebook post only if and when someone is lynched, you know? What is that for? It's just so performative and self-centered and gross. And I'm sick of it. What I think is performative is white people using the term Karen. And some people might disagree with me on this, but I think that Karen is an appropriated term. So already that's a no-no. And then I think white men are using Karen as a hall pass for misogyny. Absolutely, yeah. And seeing a lot of that. And then white women are using it to signal, hey, I'm not a Karen because I just pointed out somebody who's a Karen, not realizing that... Karen can be within you sleeping and come out one day and you might not really be aware of the Karen tendencies in you until it comes out and somebody catches you on video being awful. And we would all like to think that that's not us, but you never know. Cause then I'm sure everybody that's been called a Karen, maybe not everybody, but doesn't think that they're one. Right. So to see white people being like, Oh, here's another Karen, you know, I'm like, well, you've probably done that <laughs> at some point. Yeah. Maybe not as bad. Like maybe you didn't call cops on, on a bird watcher, <laughs> but our pasts are riddled with microaggressions at best. Yeah. I have never seen a white person's tweet about a Karen and gone, oh, 
like, you know, like it is just, I get, I suffer from secondhand embarrassment and that is what I feel when I see that. But yeah, it is appropriation. And that's definitely something we could be doing a lot less of, especially now we can also, yeah, back to the post, just stop posting, stop speaking, just listen. That's another important part of it. You don't have to (laughs) give your two cents. Just listen to your friends of color. But also don't request the information. If there's a gray area you don't understand, don't expect your marginalized friends to explain things to you, much like people in the queer community. We know this. We don't. It's not our job to educate and it can be draining. No, that this happened to me the other day. And I told Melody about this when it happened that somebody I went to high school with who I'm friends with, lovely person, got put in charge of the communications around a pride initiative at their company and then asked me because they were struggling with writing it. I'm like, this isn't my job. Like your work is paying you to come up with the communications. Are there no queer people at your company? Not that it's their job, but at least, you know, ask a gay person on the payroll. Yeah. You know, not not me. And I don't care about your company, which is a big financial institution. I don't care about their hollow pride efforts to have people put rainbow Zoom backgrounds or, or whatever you're doing, like unless you are funding nonprofits that help marginalized communities. I don't fucking care about your corporate pride initiative. I don't. We don't need it. And don't ask me to help you with the messaging for it. Karen. <laughs> I'm sorry. You said it. You said it. But that is a great example. Because that person, I'm sure, again, lovely person, probably thought that they were doing the right thing. They were like, I don't want to be insensitive with what I'm writing or write something that the queer people in the company are going to roll their eyes at. So let me ask the gay person I went to high school with for help. If they had to dig back that far, like (laughs) for a gay person too, maybe they shouldn't be on this task force. (laughs) Right. Melody, what's the gayest thing you've done this week? Ooh, I'd have to say the absolute gayest thing I did over the last seven days was purchase a pair of Birkenstocks. Wow. What motivated that? What motivated that was my daily walks to Prospect Park. I think I've mentioned this multiple times. I like to go there and watch lesbians and their dogs. Um, And the weather's getting nicer. (laughs) And I'm just seeing a lot of dykes and Birkenstocks. And I've talked about this on a Patreon episode, but how I just like never really let myself lean into a queer look. Um, So I think I've always been kind of hesitant to get Birkenstocks. I don't know. They look comfortable, but I I don't know. I didn't think I could pull them off. So now you're starting from the ground up. Literally. To to um, dike it up. Got some sandals. I had the clogs in high school, but never also been weird about showing my feet. Never really wore like sandals. And so this is huge for me. I mean, that's got to be the gayest thing. Birkenstocks are hella gay. Yes. That's also very brave of you to wear sandals in New York. It's something I've never been able to bring myself to do. For those of you not familiar, New York City is absolutely filthy. So (laughs) it's like walking through piles of garbage with bare feet. That's what you're doing if you're wearing sandals. I hope for Allie's sake, you rinse your feet (laughs) off before you get into bed. I know that's what I would make Cecilia do if she ever wore sandals outside. I make Allie do that (laughs) because she's been a Birkenstock wearer 
her for years. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't, actually, oof, I haven't been on the subway since early March, so <laughs> I didn't even yeah. consider being on the subway with Birkenstocks. Maybe not. Yeah, there's a lot of fluids being thrown around oh. on the subway. <laughs> What is the gayest thing you did this last week? Oh, the gayest thing I did this past week is I was a guest on a podcast. It'll be coming out later this month. And I talked about Willow and Tara from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And the other person on the pod was Colette McIntyre, who is a past guest of the podcast from our Fat and Queer episode. And I love Colette so much. Truly one of the funniest people I have ever met. Just so effortlessly hilarious. And it was such a joy to be able to just talk about Tara, Willow, that whole relationship, the bi erasure of Willow's character, as well as just like some of the toxic gaslighting that went on in the relationship. I mean, you can listen to the episode when it comes out, but I was just like in lesbian heaven talking about that. I just sit around all day waiting for somebody to ask me for my hot takes on Buffy. That's really it. And, and it happened. What a dream come true. I should watch it, huh? I mean, I haven't watched it since it was like on on. So I never get your references, by the way. And I, I mean, I should. It is my duty. It's a joy. It's really not a chore to rewatch Buffy. It's on Hulu. And oh. it is a pure joy to watch that show. It holds up. Every time I watch it, I... I'm like, oh my God, I forgot about this. Or like, I love this episode so much. Or this is so great. Like, ugh, how is it not universally agreed upon that this is one of the best shows of all time? Sarah Michelle Gellar, truly an incredible actress. Speaking of, I recently downloaded, and I haven't watched it yet, the pilot for the Cruel Intentions TV show that they tried to make, and then the pilot was never picked up. But somebody put it like a WeTransfer link on Twitter to the pilot. They had it like they had worked on it and they put it there and it was like a gigabyte download. And it's Sarah Michelle Geller, like in the one teaser I saw, she's like very queer. I saw Cruel Intentions, the musical off Broadway a couple <gasps> of years ago. <laughs> Jelly. It was so good and so gay. Like they really yeah? amped up the queerness in it. It was Gorgeous. Yeah. I can't believe I missed that. I love a good off-Broadway musical adaptation. I did miss Heathers when that was made. I wanted to see that and I missed it. There were so many great shows. Can't wait for that to open up again. (laughs) All right. (laughs) What do you say we get into our conversation with May? Let's do it. As a quick reminder, Mae Martin is a Canadian comedian based in the UK. In addition to creating and starring in Feel Good, you can rewatch their comedy specials on Netflix and YouTube and wherever. They also wrote a book that I can't wait to read. Actually, I felt so dumb that I didn't know about it ahead of time. It's called Can Everyone Please Calm Down? A Guide to 21st <laughs> Century Sexuality. That sounds like a must read for everybody, but let's get into it. Today I've been really thinking about like stand up and what the future of that looks like. Me too. 
Yeah. What are you thinking? What What's it like for you? I mean, for like the first month of lockdown, I was the super positive one being like, just wait it out, guys. It's just a blip in the road. And then now I've sort of slipped into the like, will anything ever be fine again? Right. But it'll be fine. <laughs> it will be fine. <laughs> but it sucks. Comedy, it's, yeah. yeah. You work so hard at it. And then a once in a century global pandemic totally derails your progress i had a, a new hour of stand-up ready to go and i was about to go on tour and now i'm like a is any of it relevant anymore because it doesn't reference a pandemic am i ever going to be like ready to go again you know yeah do you think people are going to want to hear about the pandemic or do you think it's kind of like i mean at least in the u.s like after the election like nobody wanted to hear about trump like yeah. unless you have the best fucking trump joke i hope it's like that yeah i really i hope because i've got nothing to say about the pandemic except it sucks you know i, I don't have any hot new take on it right yeah i wonder i, I usually do the edinburgh fringe festival every year and right. i bet there's going to be about a hundred shows with like pun titles on pandemic or lockdown or yeah I hope that people don't want to hear about it yeah I'm so desperate for attention yeah we'll give it don't, to you don't you feel that like this is I'm, I'm doing all these podcasts now because I'm like I don't know every we all are we yeah. can't stop are, are you yeah. living alone right now no, thank God. I have a roommate. Oh, good. And we start, we didn't know each other that well. Yeah. But now we're so codependent now and I just lucked out. She's great and <laughs> funny. And yeah, thank God. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I find that I've been getting a lot of attention from my wife, so I'm not craving it as much without. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the timing of your show, I guess, coming out was pretty great because it's a good way to get a lot of attention while in quarantine is having a show premiere on Netflix, right? <laughs> Maybe. Like, this is what Ali keeps saying. But I don't know, you know, because we had to cancel a whole press tour and sure. it's really hard to get the word out and outside of the UK. I think in the UK, it's been great because I, I already had kind of a profile here, but it's been, I, I don't know. I really wanted to go on like, a talk show I was yeah. desperate that's a, what a lifelong dream that'd be so cool and I, I would hate to do stand-up on a talk show so the only way I could I'm too scared I'm really bad at short sets so yeah. the only way I'd, I'd love to do it is to chat but yeah yeah and that sucks too because like when we all come out of this there's gonna be such like a log jam of all these people promoting their projects who want to like yeah. hit the circuit and how yeah. do you get there yeah but no, you're right. In some ways, it's nice. I think people like word of mouth is spreading and people like a bit of romantic escapism. And yeah. yeah. How was making the show for you from uh, the standpoint of uh, acting in it as well? Like as a performer on stage, that's one skill set. But had you acted before? Because you do a phenomenal job in it. And Thanks. I was really impressed. Uh, I know I said it on the Alley episode, but stand-ups aren't known for their acting chops usually. So it was great to see your performance in it. I thought was like you nailed Thank it. You. Yeah. I have the ad advantage of being so full of emotions <laughs> that are like just before, <laughs> like just below the surface at all times. So that was helpful. And then I think I was really lucky that we did a pilot first that just went in the garbage, but it was a really good chance to practice and find that character. And yeah, I, I was really nervous about acting. It, it's so scary to express yourself without irony or sarcasm. And I mean, I surrounded myself with amazing actors too. That helps. Yeah. Ali was great. And we had a long, weirdly long rehearsal process that I think is really unusual for TV. Like usually 
I think you have a few days and we had three weeks pretty much just me and Charlotte. And that was really helpful because we were very like giggly and had a hard time with like eye contact. So it took, by the time we got to set, we were, we were intimate, you know? Yeah. (laughs) How much time between the pilot and shooting the show did you have? I guess about more than a year. So shot shot the pilot and then sold it and then wrote the series and everything. So yeah, the whole process took about four years before it came out. How different was the pilot from what ended up being the first episode? George was meaner. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, George was meaner and they were more... The the one problem with it was after watching it, it was it was decent, like it was funny. But at the end, you were like, "God, I, I don't want to spend much more time with that couple." Like they, you know, <laughs> they really. And I know that May and George do not always bring out the best in each other. But after watching it, we realized that we really wanted to. Also, the pilot jumped right into their relationship, like six months in. Yeah, and we realized we wanted to see them fall in love, even if it was just a quick montage, basically. But we wanted to see what first attracted them to each other and like fall in love with them a bit. So it was really helpful, but yeah, George was more acerbic and I was not as good at acting. (laughs) (laughs) And also you might know if you listen to the episode with Allie, Melody and I are both obsessed with Lisa Kudrow. And is that someone that you always had in mind to play your mom? Yeah, weirdly. Yes. But only because it's so much easier to write with someone specific in mind so right it was it was never that we actually thought she would do it we just in writing we'd say you know kind of someone like Lisa Kudrow or and so that made it easier to find that character but then we had another list of people that we thought and then our producer said well why don't you just send it and see what happens and then and we didn't sleep for like two weeks and then she got back in touch and it was pretty seemed like painless like she was really on board and supportive and I'm a huge comeback fan. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like one of my favorite shows. When it came back for the second season, I had so many emotions and it was everything I hoped it would be. And second season is like flawless, I think. It yeah. Just, they upped the, yeah. I should oh, rewatch I was like, that right now. I think I need I was that. sobbing at the last episode of the second Me season. Too. Man. Yeah. So I had all kinds of nerdy fan questions I wanted to ask her, and <laughs> she was very indulgent. Ah, she, yeah, she was so nice. That's so great to hear. She was really empowering. Like she, she kept kind of reminding me because I'm quite self-deprecating and stuff. And she'd be like, "No, it's your it's your show. If you want another take, ask for another take." Like she was very empowering, and yeah, doesn't that doesn't come naturally to me? So that was helpful. How close was the final product to like what you set out to make? Really close, really close. Um, well, that's which is good. A, a testament to Ali, and also, I think my my co writer and I had a really identical vision for, and and we we really were on the same page with every single scene, and how we wanted it to look and feel. And and then Joe was on, he was on set, so he was always with Ali behind the camera, and so I I knew I could relax because I knew that we had a totally identical vision. So. That was helpful. And then we were both in the edit as well. So, yeah, we managed to get it pretty close. But was he someone that you've written with before? Or how did that come about, the collaboration? Yeah, he's my best my best friend. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we met in 2012. And then we'd pitched other ideas together and written stuff. And then when this idea came around, he just, yeah, he knows me so well. So he was just a perfect fit. And he's so good at structure. And there's certain characters that he really... Like Maggie was a very Joe 
voice. He was amazing at writing her. And yeah, it was a very, and that's what's kind of, I've been listening and reading some things that people have written about the show. And like, sometimes people talk about how it's so rare to have like a, a, purely queer voice and I, it's, I always am like but it, it is 50% a, you know a straight guy that wrote it and I think that speaks that is a nice thing because it yeah. just shows yeah. how universal those experiences are and, and love and it's as much his show as it is my even though it's my life he totally related to all of that and that just I think speaks to the universality of intimacy and self-esteem and self-worth and all this shame and things that people struggle with. Yeah, it's it's weird how shows that are queer, I think, are always relegated to being niche or just for queer people. And some of them, I will say, are like there's a lot of stuff that I watch that I'm like, I'm only watching this because I'm gay. There's no <laughs> yes. other reason to Homework. watch this show. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, me too. And uh, but feel good, obviously, like was not like that at all, and seemed yeah, you could definitely feel that it was more universal, and the the themes in it, and the different perspectives and relationships you have, like somebody can find a character that they relate to in all of it. Yeah, I hope so. I hope people can identify with different characters. And But it is funny, like, when we we were meeting with different directors, I always sort of knew I wanted Ali, but we met with directors in the UK as well. And I, I won't name the director, but this one director came in and was like, God, there's so many strap-ons in this show, and it, it's so crazy. And I guess that's sort of the point you're making about strap-ons. I was like, I, I didn't... There's like two strap-ons in the show. And it wasn't that I was like, I must make a statement about strap-ons and <laughs> I'm, I'm doing this revolutionary thing. It was like, that's just part of my sex life and I'm just depicting my honest experience. So it'd be a weird omission. But it was funny like how... And a lot of people in the press were like, there's so much sex in this show. And it's like, really? Like compared to Fleabag or Girls or, you know, there's not much. It's yeah, it's a show it's just, about a relationship. But. Yeah, a little different. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so it really stands out to people, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, we loved the strap-on representation. I think we talked about that a lot on Allie's episode, too. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, so did I. I. Yeah, and I heard you saying on Allie's episode about the awkwardness of putting it on, and that that's something I've never seen depicted that it's a real thing <laughs> it is a real thing yeah it's hard to be and I know there are Swaff. like comedians who joke about it but yeah to be like in the moment and things are heating up and it's like okay hold on a second and then you're yeah. like looping things in and getting it wrong and adjusting one, one good thing is having someone put it on you or having it on like Teamwork. under a, under a duvet so they don't know you're wearing it <laughs> ah, <laughs> and then, yeah the surprise strap i love the that surprise strap i don't know that's yeah. a good move that was my move for so long and then it needed to become the surprise that i wasn't gonna surprise her with it yeah anymore. <laughs> <laughs> i got got that's funny now that we're talking about strap-ons yeah i always feel really awkward putting lube on a strap-on yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. That I think that's the moment that I'm like, don't look at me. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think you need to get into it. Like I've, I've tried to kind of embrace that rather than kind of trying to hide the strap on until I'm actually using it. Like, yeah, kind of embrace it in like a filthy way, like involve it. Pre, you know what I mean? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it is, it is embarrassing. So I, I'm like, I better just go for it. 
Yeah, that's good <laughs> advice, I think. I'm going to try that. Yeah. I hope my wife's not listening, so it's a surprise. But next time, <laughs> I will be uh, more strap confident. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is there anything that you would have done differently in making the show? Yeah, I think definitely lots of little things that in the edit were... But we, we had such time constraints that right. there were definitely things that got cut or things that were reimagined for time reasons or some of the NA scenes, I, I think... We had ambitious ideas about shooting them in this way where the camera was going around, but it actually, in the end, I don't know. There, yeah, so oh. little things like that, yeah. Other than that, there's a couple of outfits I would change. <laughs> Some of my clothes. <laughs> I mostly just wore my own clothes. And so yesterday oh. I went for a walk to the park and I was wearing like my Carhartt hooded jacket and a black t-shirt and my jeans and my and my thing. And... um I looked exactly like I do in the show. And this, and this girl was like, oh, I was just watching your show today. And it must have feel, felt like I just walked out of the screen in my costume. Like, right. very weird. <laughs> Probably. I can see hanging from behind you, like, yes. <laughs> black jackets, I think. I was like, perfect. So many. So many black More jackets. More show. This is, this is the t-shirt from the first date. Yes. So, yes. That I'm wearing right now. Yeah. <laughs> what was it like writing the stand-up material for the show like were you taking stuff that you already kind of have and then adapting it or I found that stuff the hardest because I think yeah you're like I don't want to burn material (laughs) (laughs) yeah I I don't want to burn material also I in the beginning she's not supposed to be that good a stand-up like in especially in the beginning of the series she's like fine but it's fine walking that balance and always moving the narrative forward so yeah and then also it feels so unnatural being on stage and doing the same material I, in the same way for an audience of extras and you're like desperate to just make them laugh and riff and you can't and yeah yeah but that set in episode five some of that I'd done before but I think if I was doing it for real I'd add more punchlines <laughs> but the character <laughs> is in a dark place that's weird about material though it's you guys must find it's it's so hard as soon as something's filmed or online you're like can I can I keep doing it and yeah, I never know when to retire stuff. And, and when, right. it's, when it starts to feel dead to you and you're dead behind the eyes doing it, then everyone can tell. And Oh, yeah. Plus, too, to be doing stand-up to extras and having the <laughs> laughter be, like, more or less cued up, that's got to be yeah. weird. So but weird. Yeah, you seemed so... I don't know. It, it felt so real that I kind of wonder, and I'm like, oh, did she just do a set to like different audiences and captured like a sincere reaction or yeah I think we I did it three times only and I changed it a bit every time so that there was always something that surprised them and gave them a a genuine lull and then Charlotte who there's a shot of Charlotte who plays my girlfriend in it of her reaction to it and she only had one take to do it in because we had so little time and I hadn't really seen what she'd done and then I watched the I watched it later that day and it's so good she's got, she's got like a, a single tear like yeah <laughs> I mean like to have one take and yeah she's a pro and in that set I guess I'll get us into our topic because you talk a lot about fluidity and gender and just kind of I guess like the uncertainty around identity yeah I'm a big supporter of ambiguity and and not feeling like you have to have the answers all the time and and strict labels and stuff. And I think actually weirdly I've got some people have said that they found the show biphobic, which was interesting to me because I was trying to be 
honest about the fact that I have a double standard myself and, and have in the past. And I, I maybe have been that way with, with girls that I've been with who've never been with girls before because I feel threatened or insecure. But I am bi and I date men and have been in love with men and have relationships with men. So I was trying to show the kind of inner like <laughs> turmoil of that. You know, they're not yeah. perfect characters. There, there is an element of biphobia in their world. Right. But that's, yeah. not my, that's not my point of view. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I think... It, it's interesting because audience will give feedback and say that's biphobic or even if you think about and and I've been guilty of this too in the L word you know it's so problematic it's first run like there's a lot of biphobia and a lot of oh my God, yeah. butch phobia and transphobia but then it's like well it's a show centered around these femme lesbians in LA so yeah that's a problem in that community. They're going to be butch phobic, transphobic, you know, by shaming and those kind of things, whether or not that was the intention of the show. I don't know if they were like that nuanced about it when they were thinking about it, but it's like, but that's a a perspective. And those are things that we should kind of hold a mirror to because those are like the thoughts and experiences that, that we struggle with. Yeah. And I've definitely had the experience several times of dating women who say they say I'm I'm straight except for you and and that is a real doozy because it's like well why why do you feel the need to uh, say that you're straight you know you you can just say that you're nothing you you don't say that you're gay or bi or whatever but why would you assert that you're straight when you're dating a woman it's or a person yeah and and then on the other side I know a lot of queer women who will be dating those kind of women who say who have always identified as straight and then they'll be like oh yeah I'm dating a straight woman or my ex was straight but it's like well was she because she dated you a very obvious queer woman yeah and maybe they're not saying that they're straight but their partner is being like oh you're straight you know you can project this insecurity on yeah yeah it's a it's a minefield that's why I think we should move away from labels which it's tricky though, because I know they're important for communication and dialogue, and maybe that's a naively ambitious place to dream of where we don't need them. But I've always found them difficult in, in my own life, and yeah. there's none that feel right to me. So I'm biphobic against myself a lot of the time yeah, right. too. Like I only just came out as bi on our last episode we recorded with Desiree Akvan because I couldn't not with another Persian bisexual like admit yes, that I also yeah. am. But I've joined on to this podcast diking out. Uh, only a couple yeah. months ago and it took me this like weekly podcast to finally come out with it and I related so much to your stand-up instead of re-watching Feel Good last night I watched your stand-up special on Netflix and you kind of explore that too about you know yeah. coming around to men and it doesn't negate anything totally I do also love the shrimp the shrimp <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks. if you haven't listened to Mae Martin's Netflix yeah. special um, the shrimp is what lives in your mind and <laughs> Decides what to be addicted to and gets excited. <laughs> yeah, a French Canadian shrimp. <laughs> I, I definitely felt like when I first discovered I was into girls and I had boyfriends and had lived with boyfriends at the time, but I was so excited to have this new identity and, and so enamored with like lesbian culture and and so I totally immersed myself in it and then f- and found a lot of biphobia there and still do. Like I've been booed at Pride festivals for what? talking about di- yeah for talking about dating men because they're like. We don't want that. Um, Seriously? I don't really yeah. want to get into that. Yeah, I'm like, who are these people <laughs> booing at Pride? I know, I know. 
I've had it twice, once at a Pride Festival and once just at a gig, these sort of older women who I guess had come, they wanted some lesbian content and I talked about being in love with a guy and they, they walked out they were, and they were huffing and puffing. So it took me a while into my sort of early 20s to say, oh no, I'm, I'm definitely bi. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm like, who would do that? And then I also used to jokingly boo, not like in a public <laughs> forum, but if I had a friend who was bisexual and was like, yeah, I'm really into this guy, to be like, boo. Yeah. But I also, I get where that comes from because there's so little representation and there's so, um, we still feel like we're just trying to get a foothold. So when you get someone new into the fold, it's really exciting. And I get, right. I, I get that. Yeah. I get the kind of like, oh no, don't, but it's, we gotta, we gotta chill. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of the 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. It's interesting, like... I'm very much of your mindset, even though I've always identified as a lesbian and feel like great within that mm. label. I don't think it's necessary either. And yeah. it feels like right now we're at a time of like a lot of contradicting things going on where everything's more fluid, I, w I would think, and that we should be more open minded. And we know that the community, it's like not a monolith. And then at the same time, we're coming up with all these like hyper specific labels and trying to be like, well, I'm this and I'm coming out as this, but now I'm coming out as this. And now I have to come out. And it's like this constant and it's causing, I think, anxiety for especially younger queer people. We get these emails that are like, I think I'm this or I just came out and they're like 14 and they're like I'm mm. aromantic panset I'm like okay but like don't yeah. don't worry about it just like who do you have a crush on exactly yeah, like who do you think about when you masturbate like that's yeah who cares that's what yeah I, I wrote uh, <laughs> totally I, I wrote a book for teenagers with exactly that sort of thesis behind it because I just thought oh amazing what's it called it's called can everyone please calm down <laughs> yes it's, uh, <laughs> yeah yeah it's a book for teens about sexuality, but I just thought we're, we're so forgetting that this is supposed to be about love and sex, which shouldn't be stressful. And the conversations are so politicized. And if you were young and it would be so stressful, it'd be awful. Yeah. And a lot of 
policing too then within labels because it's like if you're claiming this label and then I'm claiming this label but you're acting a different way than me then are you invalidating what my label means to me so like for like I know some lesbians who identify as lesbians but they'll sleep with men just for sex like they have zero interest in dating men it's just like for them a fun thing to do sometimes that they just want to get out of their system whatever but they still identify as lesbians and then some people are like how fucking dare you call yourself a lesbian because now everybody's gonna think that lesbians like fuck dudes and the term lesbians has like no meaning I'm like huh like I I guess I can kind of see both sides but yeah chill out yeah (laughs) It's, it's like how does it really affect you personally that's why I'm I mostly if I have to and it's usually because I'm doing some interview or press where they literally will not let me not have a label because they're like no but what is it then (laughs) I usually go with queer because it's it's sort of all-encompassing but right yeah we're we're getting we're moving forward though aren't we I hope so (laughs) do you think I hope so too it's I, I didn't see this whole um turf thing coming that it yeah. seems like such a, a, st- a setback you know yeah that I think an older generation got on the internet and <laughs> yeah what they figured then. out how to use the internet <laughs> yeah. and got manipulated by like right wing men often and yeah it's yeah. it's crazy there was an article that came out this week about and I didn't read the, the whole thing but it was somebody who used to write for after Ellen I believe and they got into oh. the turf did you see that I read that they yeah. were like they basically got brainwashed or, or sucked well, into happened? this kind of yeah yeah they talked about the the community of of turfs and they're very like predatory and they like brainwash you but they are also like trying to make you feel important and rewarding you for your turfdom and giving you like opportunities and talking about how like great and bold you are and, and all this stuff yeah. so you feel important and that that's always how i feel about conservative women or conservative minorities that you know whenever i see or they've been yeah 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 that they're like somebody they're like oh finally in this culture where i'm ignored and not listened to now the people that i least expected to celebrate me are celebrating me because i say things that they agree with so you have like those two black women who love trump that just got kicked off fox news i think (laughs) they're just two women who wanted to be heard and loved yeah. And this and was the it, way they found it. And it's really sad. Yeah. <laughs> totally. And it's it's also um, fear based and, and bizarre. And I kind of it reminds me of like the thing of if we let trans women use bathrooms, they're going to they're going to kill us in the bathrooms. It right. reminds me of like immigrants are taking our jobs because it's a sentence that you can kind of you can think, well, I understand why people think there's a finite number of jobs. And if you let people in, there will be less jobs. But then and just like I understand men commit a lot of murder and they're thinking that. But but there's so many mistakes in there. And also you just have to look at numbers and like it's so demonstrably untrue that there's there's no evidence for this being an issue, really. And it's yeah. the same with with immigration and jobs. It's that's not what's happening. So it's yeah. Yeah. You gotta look at the facts. Especially the bathroom stuff. Like yeah. th- that one seems like one of the weirder once because it's like the person who is a predator that's like I'll just say I identify as a woman to go into the women's restroom and like 
assault women in the bathroom like that person isn't really trans so what are you what are you actually yeah so so you're actually afraid of just like creepy predator dudes and that could already happen what's there's nothing stopping them now yeah yeah and also the only offshoot of this the hysteria around bathroom (laughs) safety is that people like me get hassled in toilets like I always get women yelling at me for and saying I shouldn't be in the bathroom and that happens so often (laughs) it's absolutely crazy wow yeah it used to when I was a kid when you were a kid yeah even when I was a little kid that would happen a lot like just people yelling at me that I was in the wrong bathroom and then now I've noticed like a marked increase in that happening in the past year two years just because of, I think, the media. Who yeah. cares about what kid is in a bathroom? Who I would know. yell at somebody <laughs> and a child? Yeah. I don't know. Moms bring their sons into bathrooms all the time. I know. It's Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's the culture like in the UK around all of this? Is it what? So you're from Canada. Have you ever lived in the US or you you just have like UK and Canada to compare? Just UK and Canada. And I, and I grew up in Toronto and in a very queer community and it was very integrated and very bi as well and cool and fun. And, fun. and then, um, yeah, I haven't found that community in, in the UK. Maybe, I don't think I'm looking in the right places. I should be hanging out Desiree Akavan or something, but <laughs> I, uh, yeah. And also I think when I moved here, I threw myself into comedy so much. And, and so that's kind of my community now here is right. the comedy community, which is great too. There's good people in it. So it does in some ways feel like the UK is, I might get in trouble for saying this, but it, I think it's about 10 years lag time compared yeah. to where, where, like we had gay marriage in, um, when I was about 16 in Canada and it's only pretty recent here. So And then... I guess around gender, too, in the set that you do in Feel Good, you say, I don't know, I guess I'm trans or non-binary. Like, you're just so like, I, I don't know. Like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really don't know. It's an ongoing process. <laughs> I think I'm at a point where, like, if I didn't have to go through the hassle of having all the conversations around it, I'd probably love to identify as non-binary and use neutral pronouns or at least uh, maybe no I'm into she as well I think I don't know I just right now I'm like that seems so so stressful so the the people close to me I think know that I am thinking of myself that way in my head and that's yeah. kind of enough for me right now I think but I don't know I, I do think about it a lot which is new yeah yeah about how new is it for you in the last couple of years yeah. um and definitely through making the show too but maybe it's having language for it that I didn't have before you know? Yeah, maybe if you were a kid now. I think I probably would. Yeah, I think I'd say I was I was non-binary if I was a kid now. But it's weird, you know, it's just certain, you know, they talk about like, I mean, I explore a bit about like dysphoria and, and feel good. And I think a lot of people experience those feelings regardless of, I don't know, just feeling not, not right in your body or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's certain words that make me feel like like woman I can I cannot handle uh but girl but I can handle girl a lot better it's weird you know it's hard to it's like a very personal thing I guess yeah I always every I think about this scene often in now and then do you have you ever seen that movie oh not for years <laughs> what what happens um, Christina Ricci's character is taping her boobs down and I oh, remember trying yeah. that when I was a kid and just um eventually they got so there was 
I just had to accept them. <laughs> but yeah. I used to try to do that. I grew up to be a pretty femme person, but I used to tape my boobs down. And I just think about that all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And then also it's so hard to disentangle what's my what's my genuine dysphoria and what's society and feeling like I should be things. And it's really hard to kind of separate those two things. So Yeah, that's something that I think about a lot. And it's hard for me because I can only understand it from my experience as like a cisgendered woman who feels comfortable with that identity. But I also think that you're not any less of a, a woman if like if your hair is short or if you bind your chest or if you wear suits. Like I don't think that those things make you less of a of a woman and like how much of these labels like non-binary are a rejection of like what society has defined genders by you know so it's like well I don't I don't want you to call me a woman because I've grown up like learning that women are like victims and we're weak and we're not capable of you know success or whatever things that are kind of told in a patriarchal society yeah I think that's an interesting question and I think on a personal level people should ask themselves that question but then I also think if people say I'm non-binary. We have to just believe believe them and oh, listen yeah. to them. So, but I think that's a a good kind of interrogation that I, I've done and I think about a lot. But I think I've come to the conclusion that it's a sort of deeper thing for me that from from the time I could think, you know. Before. Yeah. Also, I had such an open, amazing family, and but I literally remember from the time I could speak, being like, oh, I'm definitely not either of those things, you know. Yeah, it's. Like, I, I definitely am with you there. Like, I understand why people would learn about non-binary and be like, oh, finally, something that makes sense to me because I've never felt here yeah. nor there. It's just interesting to think about what kind of created that here nor there. And, like, it feels like as time goes in civilization, we're, like, getting further away from these defined roles of, like, women children mothers stay at home you know and yeah and now you have like dad staying at home and men hopefully embracing you know being sensitive and and different qualities and having it be okay or you have people like like harry styles who can you know show up with like lace and pearl earrings and just fucking rock it and have everybody have a crush on him i know i mean how come we went backwards though because in the 70s it was like bowie and rock your picture show and why'd we go backwards right i think the 80s happened extreme yeah prince i thought after prince it'd it'd all be over we'd all (laughs) embrace the gender bend (laughs) yeah he was a he was a symbol he he, yeah he literally changed it yeah but then also um i'm probably regurgitating this from someone else who i heard say it but i can't think who but non-binary identities and stuff are so ancient as as human civilization so right in a way it's not like a new millennial thing it's like we've really had a blip where we've got into this very binary way of thinking but actually hinduism and lots of ancient cultures there was right yeah like uh native american cultures and and also i've read things about just like ancient rome and greece and the fluidity that existed back then oh my god i so like a couple sorry to cut you off no sorry (laughs) so like a couple years ago um india i think 2016 
or no, maybe 2018, India decriminalized homosexuality. And yeah. everyone in England was like, the coverage of it was kind of snarky. It was like, oh, it's about time, guys. And like, but it was England that went into India and criminalized homosexuality in like 1860 something. So this is ultimate gaslighting, you know? Wow. I didn't know about that. That's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's everything and nothing. Like, I don't even know how to think or talk about it. So I feel like I'm just sitting here and listening because this is how I get in these. Like, I don't have the vocabulary. I still don't know how to talk about Me this. too. I think you should call it the, the title of this episode should be It's Everything and Nothing. Yeah. It is yeah. like, it's so hard to, yeah, we're talking about something that's by its nature, very hard to like articulate. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think about it a lot, like, especially with, with doing this podcast has really forced me to think about it more. We've had guests before who are trans, non-binary, or maybe on their way to coming out as trans men and and on that journey. I just can't imagine how hard it is to figure out and also the pressure people feel to figure it out and put a label to it, which is why I like where you stand of like just Calm yeah. down and just like be be yourself and do what feels good. Yeah, day to day. Yeah. yeah. I think if I put pressure on myself to have an answer that would stress me out so much. Right. But I'd like to I'd like to explore it more in if we if we do another ser- series, like another season, I'd love to talk about it a bit more. How is um, it not renewed already? I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, like quarantine happened and uh, everything's kind of in disarray in the industry but i'm hoping like would they commission the scripts and we're writing the scripts and cool. oh great just ho- hoping for the best but who knows yeah listeners get on get on twitter and social media and start talking yeah. about when season two coming out tweet at netflix at yeah. netflix yeah, <laughs> yeah they need to hear that you need to have campaigns to to save our shows we recently interviewed noelle stevenson who is a showrunner for she-ra on netflix Oh, okay. What's that? I've never heard of that. So, I didn't know too much either. <laughs> okay. But then I didn't realize it was huge. This episode oh, just really? dropped this week. And yeah, I didn't realize. Yeah. It, we got a huge, a lot of new listeners coming from the She-Ra fandom. So She-Ra is like in the Masters of the Universe world. Uh, it's yeah. He-Man's sister. It was a cartoon in the 80s and then they brought it to Netflix like in a reimagined way and it's super queer. Cool. And it, it's in this world where like homophobia and sexism doesn't exist and they don't explicitly <sighs> talk about gender and all of the characters are super fluid in a bunch of ways. Like you can't like, you know, there's two princesses who are married to each other. The one guy has, like, two dads, but they're all, like, the one guy, you don't know if he's gay or straight. He has his midriff showing, but then he <laughs> he also, like, loves one of the other characters who's a, a girl. I don't know. And but, like, there are a lot of people that are kind of in between and a lot of different representation, but none of it is, like, explicitly named, and it just feels very... Oh my Easy. god, that's like utopia. Yeah, yeah. Imagine living in that world where you can, where every facet of yourself and your attractions and your identity are, are kind of fine. That would be amazing, and and that no one would ever say, "Oh wait, so you're dating him now? So are you straight? So are you like, oh my god, 
It's exhausting. That would yeah. be great. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it. Also, He Man Sister is just a great <laughs> idea. Right. Yeah. They remove He Man from the show completely in the the reboot, which has some guys angry, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he's not missed. I it made me think are these labels that we put on ourselves then like, do they just exist because things like homophobia and sexism are things. So then we need these labels to kind of identify to either protect ourselves or like join forces against the biases. I think the labels themselves are only about 200 years old and they, before that didn't exist. And, And the reason they came into being was, when they started talking about it like a mental illness. So they needed a label for it for like the medical dictionary. I think that was part, part of it. So, right. Yeah. I mean, it's the thing with like neutral pronouns with the the minute we start using them, it becomes second nature. I think it would be, it'll be a slow, long process, but that could happen with, with labels Yeah, where it just becomes, but you're, you're right. Where it's like, we do need them now because it's still illegal in like 70 countries or something. And, you know, so it's still important to be able to wave a flag that says I'm this right. because you're asserting your right to exist. You know, I, I feel like it also comes into play more when you're single, but like yeah. as somebody who's married, other than the fact that I'm co-hosting this podcast called Diking Out, yeah. but like <laughs> I don't normally, it's not at the forefront of my mind of like, I'm a lesbian or like, isn't this weird? I'm married to a woman like we just like exist and like this is our life and it feels just natural and it it is what it is and then it's weird to have to like step back and think of how how that's defined or how we're different than other people when it like it doesn't matter I don't know but then we get emails from people um in more rural areas who are just like well good for you you know how lucky are you to not even have to consider it being a real thing and like right runs my life in every waking moment like you know yeah (laughs) have to be aware of that that's so true privilege is definitely a factor in that and especially like with being trans too like there are so many people who are trans or would want to like explore that identity more but literally like fear for their safety or would be kicked out of their their house and can't totally can't explore that but then yeah that's why I always try to have the caveat of like I'm talking about this utopian fantasy where we don't have labels but it is still so important and I I get like the most important thing is visibility and and trying to, you know, lift up voices that aren't aren't heard as much. Right. But yeah, I get. It is also tricky being. I mean, you guys must find this. It it's um. You feel pressure to say the. It's kind of a minefield, and especially having a podcast that's like we're a queer podcast. It's really easy to say the wrong thing, and and but then I think we all do need to. Yeah. Just because people need to be able to ask questions. Yeah. People aren't, get, they're not going to get it all the time. They're going to say the wrong thing. We're always saying the wrong thing to someone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I keep waiting. I'm like, you know, one year I just picture myself at like my dream job and then somebody pulls me <laughs> yes. aside and they're like, Carolyn, this thing you said unearthed on episode uh, 96 of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're canceled. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, and I feel the pressure a lot with with young people who come to my shows and stuff, and it's like you get stressed about role model stuff, mm-hmm. and because 
a lot of my stand-up is pretty dark and I'm a very flawed person and yeah you want to be able to sort of not worry that you're gonna I don't know present the wrong vision of being an out queer person I don't know yeah how do you approach that too on stage like that's something that I struggle with because the people that I hear talking about trans identities the most or gender are like cis straight men and they're the ones who feel emboldened to talk about that stuff into a microphone and I'm like why why but then when I have things on my mind or insights that I think are interesting and worth exploring on stage I'm so terrified because I'm like well what if I say this and it makes somebody feel bad that's the last thing I would want to do I don't see anything offensive about it but I also recognize that again I'm I'm cis and privileged and no but you you gotta you have to feel the same entitlement that those men feel or else because I guarantee what you're saying is going to be more is more prescient than than their hot take. Yeah, it's hard. We've been conditioned to feel pretty nervous about yeah, even with addiction like I I was pretty worried about in the show <clears throat> the depiction of the 12-step program and stuff cuz yeah. Obviously it's very exaggerated in the show and sure, full of comedy characters and so I got I got some feedback about that. But all you can do is represent your own experience and I I go to those meetings regularly and they they can be bizarre and there are aspects of them that I I find useful and aspects that I don't and so you have to just constantly say I'm not speaking for everyone. Yeah, that's and and also it is at the end of the day it's entertainment and a TV show and yeah. if people are going after you being like that's not how my <laughs> NA meeting goes it's like well would you want to see your NA meeting on TV? Like yeah, yeah, I imagine sometimes it's pretty dry and and sad yeah. and not something you're you're tuning into as a and as as an escape or whatever, you know. Yeah, exactly. I'd be interested in seeing um a episode of television depicting NA meetings now. Are you going to them over Zoom or how So I'm too scared of Zoom NA meetings because I'm always scared someone's gonna record it or like yeah. it just feels oh, so weird. But yeah. we, it's guess, not anonymous you know, I, at all. <laughs> yeah. I guess like I could turn off my video and do it. Sure. I could do that. Yeah. No, I've been doing like phone therapy. Kind of a big part of how I keep my brain okay is like exercise and stand up and meetings and staying so social all the time. And I, I can't do a lot of those things. So it's been like a big shift. Yeah. yeah. How has therapy been for you in quarantine? Just because I know personally I'm having like a breakthrough every session oh. because there aren't all the distractions of normal life so it's like well now I have to confront these things that is really good to hear I'm Am not I bragging here about my therapy because well, I've been putting off therapy for a while and then a pandemic hit and now I'm like well I could have really I wish I'd established a relationship with a therapist that I could shift to digital in the first place but I feel weird starting therapy like this yeah starting in a digital space would be weird yeah I find um I'm like, God, but everything's so terrible. And my therapist is kind of like, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, well, thanks. Bye. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I'm looking forward to getting back in the room. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm a serial flaker, though. On, I mean, on everything, but especially therapy. Yeah. yeah. I, tend, I tend to cancel a lot oh, of things. Oh, that's how I was when I when I used to have it's, it. I just dread it. Yeah. Yeah. By the time I was in the meeting, we were just doing a lot of catch up and never yeah. really working on things. 
did you feel better after or not? Um, I'd feel relieved that I I didn't flake. Like I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I go through it. I mean, even though I've been getting a lot out of therapy, like this is the first time in my life that I've consistently gone to therapy. Usually I've gone for very specific things of like, oh, my wife is leaving me. Well, now she left. So that's over. I don't need to talk about it anymore. What's there to talk right. about? And yeah. <laughs> this is my first time where I'm like just going for the sake of being more self-aware and yeah. <laughs> and working on my stuff. And Every week I dread it or like the day before I'm like, should I cancel? Like, do I really want to talk to her this week? And I always walk away like, thank God I talked to her this week. This was yeah, very helpful. Yeah, I'm the same. I feel great after I've done it. But yeah. I dread it yeah. and I dread it and then I cancel and then I feel guilty and then I send some weird email with some excuse or like just apologizing and I'd be self-conscious too about my girlfriend hearing me in the other room she does hers and we put a sound machine outside the door (laughs) you're listening with a glass up to the door I I can't I've passively heard myself been brought up she got on a call after just this like knockdown fight we had the night before and they started talking and I heard my name and then I heard him react and go holy shit (laughs) like probably something awful that I had said (laughs) Um, and I don't know. I can't now that I hear just like the runoff from her sessions. I don't want her hearing mine. Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's weird. (laughs) The privacy is key. Yeah. And they think we should start couples therapy, but I wouldn't want to do that in my apartment. Like the sessions over what you close a laptop and then you're just still (laughs) you're in the session physically. (laughs) Like you never get to leave it. (laughs) It's where you live. Yeah, definitely hold off on that. (laughs) But but I feel like it would be it would be good. And I mean, I don't know your situation, (laughs) but like couples therapy almost to me makes more sense than solo therapy. Would you ever date a comedian again? I, I'm sure I will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really it's really hard to go back once you. I mean, that shorthand and understanding each other's work is huge. And then I just love funny people. And, yeah, yeah. And also, I I love kind of tumultuous, mercurial people, and so it works well. What about you guys? What are your people? Doing? I'm dating a stand-up comic, and okay, I had okay. a no comedians <laughs> rule for the longest time, and just like finally gave in to that one. And it's been a few years, yeah. but. I remember we had both done sets at like the Laugh Factory in Chicago. She was in the shower the next morning and like was listening to her set to prepare for her next shows later that night. And I heard all this new material about me. And it was when we first started dating. And it was like very intimate <laughs> and like yeah. kind of borderline offensive. <laughs> just like she was talking about like my fa- like just Persians in a way that I don't think she knew how to talk about. Oh, no. um, so it was like kind of punching down and I don't think she realized it and it was just horrifying. We I needed we needed to have that conversation wow. right away where we at least run each other's cuz actually a lot of my material now or before corona was uh making fun of her and she's so okay with it. And I'm more of a right, private person good. even though you know as much of a private person I can be as a stand up. I I feel like yeah. I need to know what's going to be said, but she's way more lax about it and she loves being made fun of and being roasted. Oh, so that's good. it's very unbalanced, but that's a, yeah. <laughs> that's a good quality in someone. That's people that like to be made fun yeah. of. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> yeah. I I had back-to-back marriages, so I started comedy in the first marriage and then 
met someone as soon as it ended and then married them. So I never even like had the chance to date another comedian. It's probably for the best. (laughs) So So what does your current wife do? She's a an artist and a graphic designer. Oh, cool. That's what I wanted. Someone in the art, someone creative who's yeah. not a yeah, stand-up comedian. <laughs> May, thank you so much for talking about fluidity and feel good. I'm sure that our listeners have probably all watched it by now. I know that they were so excited when we had the last episode about it, but rewatch it. Every stream counts, right? Yes, genuinely. I just put it on in the background while you're like yes. cooking. Yeah. And just have it. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> do it. Stream away. And where can people follow you on social media? I'm on Twitter uh, at the May Martin and then Instagram and you know the huge the huge places. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Please get in touch. I'm so bored. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are your DMs open? My DMs on Instagram and I kind of occasionally will will go through them and and then on Twitter I had I closed them because I was oh, getting yeah. some some weird stuff. I was getting weird stuff. It was kind of it's riveting though and you want it but when you've seen it they can see that you've seen it. Yeah. So I was getting like a couple of women were sending these videos Whoa. that were outrageous <laughs> and I thought I can't, I yeah, I would love to just sort of dip in and dip out but I blocked them and I yeah my girlfriend was talking to her friend from college like catching up on a FaceTime yesterday and they were talking about your show at one point and you I heard you in the other room we brought up they were talking about how she had such a crush on you and then she sent a screenshot she had like slid into your DMs and was like I I can be your Joanne something like oh that God. like a very specific reference from your i think stand-up special on netflix yeah. and you like that is very specific yeah. that's and i couldn't believe yeah. and she was like she just replied like a cry laughy face i was like wow she is very <laughs> oh. like <laughs> how do you not get drained i mean i was like does she reply to all her dms that must be <laughs> overwhelming no yeah there's yeah. gotta be a lot you have to filter also i've never seen so much fan art Oh my God, I know. You've gotten so much fan art, like more so than, like I never saw anybody do fan art for the bisexual or anything. And then you keep like posting it and everything. And some of them are so (laughs) awesome. And then some of them are terrifying. Uh, Yeah, I know. If if you're listening and you're like, I hope she's not talking about mine, it probably is yours if you (laughs) you submitted a scary one. Yeah, (laughs) some of them like accentuate the exact things that you're insecure about. And right. Like, oh God, but I have to, uh, that person will feel bad if I don't post. But also I'm definitely posting them as bait to encourage more because I'd love them. <laughs> right. They're lifting my spirits so much and I, I never thought I'd get art and I'm, I'm loving it. My dream is that people will start doing different moments in the show because they're all doing the same kind of moments of me yeah. and George and Bet. I would love like some random like fill moments or I don't know, but I'm loving it. Yeah. Okay, great. So while you have it streaming in the background, just kind of glance over time to time, <laughs> find a yeah. good offhand moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is this, is this so much to ask? <laughs> One thing I said to Ali when we were filming it was, I was like, I secretly really want some teens to edit together their own music videos because I've seen people do that about like oh like those L word oh yes, yeah, yeah. where it's like Shane and Carmen <laughs> forever and then it's like to their to like don't want to miss a thing by Aerosmith is playing and it's just they've slowed everything down and so I found a few of those and that has made me so happy nice. have, has anyone done one of you and Lava no but there's a couple oh I heard you guys saying you're a little bit team Lava I'm a little bit team Lava oh, right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Lava's cool man she has a lot of mic drop moments a lot of 
Like, right. She's very, yeah. Yeah. I like her, her personality, just like really kind of unfiltered and knows what she wants and says yeah. what's on her mind. And that's kind of cool. She's kind I mean, of exactly what May needs. In yeah. Him. But then we never, we never go for that, do we? No. Season in two. Life. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> She's that actress is a friend of mine. Well, now now we've become friends and she is doing so much and she's about to be in Umbrella Academy uh, oh, cool. season two. Yeah, she's got a big part in that and she's she's so cool. Nice. Yeah, very funny. She's a drummer in a band. Oh, cool. Total legend, actually. <laughs> Man, uh, just trying to make me have a big crush on her. Why don't you? Yeah, she's very crushable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, everybody stream Feel Good. Make that fan art. Tag May on Instagram. Send it in. May, thank you so much for diking out with us today. Thank, thank you. you for having me. I had such a nice time. Good, good. You're so you're so nice and Canadian. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> well, isn't May Martin the best? I mean, I think everybody gets the the big takeaway from that conversation is just identity. And we talk about this a lot, but identity and gender and sexuality, that is just different for everybody and that there are no hard defined rules or criteria for different things. Everybody has to figure it out for themselves. And when they do believe them, validate them. Right. And don't feel pressure to have it figured out. Yes. Everybody that's calm something down. we, yeah, we get a real big sense of that from our emails and everyone yeah. just seems really stressed. Um, especially, the younger listeners to like have it locked down. And I mean, I'm 31 and though I identify as 30. Um, <laughs> and I just, <laughs> I think I just figured out that I was bi, <laughs> like, yeah, you know, on the record <laughs> last week. So it's a, it's a process. Yes. And speaking of which our listener question kind of touches on that. This week's listener question goes like this. I recently came out. I'm in my late thirties Hetero married, two grown kids. I'm in my first lesbian relationship. So happy. Overwhelmingly free. Crazy in love. I'm sure y'all can relate. Problem. I lied. I told her I've kissed women in the past. I said a couple of times in high school and then one person more recently. I was afraid she wouldn't take my feelings seriously. Like I was quote unquote bi-curious or something. I've seen that before and I didn't want to be looked at like I didn't absolutely know what I wanted. We're seriously taking steps toward building a life together. I'm wondering if I have to tell her that she's my first lesbian everything. It's been on my conscience. She's super intense about dishonesty. And even though this seems inconsequential, I'm afraid she's going to be furious. Would you say something? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Especially learning that she's very serious about dishonesty. Yes. I mean, no, lies are no bueno. They kill you. Yeah. I understand the impetus to do that, too. And I must admit that I did that when I was first starting to kiss girls, like really souped up my lesbian resume. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like, oh, yeah, my ex. And I, I had no ex, you know, like <laughs> just wanted to like you were the chief marketing officer of Pussytown. <laughs> yeah, I was like kind of speak it into fruition like, I don't know, just kind of to trick myself or psych myself out to sure. be able to go into these, like, queer spaces. I was like, yeah, I'm a fucking dyke. <laughs> but I was, like, so inexperienced. And I get that. I totally get that. Yeah. But if I were with someone 
who I'm seriously building a life with, I wouldn't want to keep anything from them, let alone something that wouldn't be reacted to so harshly, I don't think. Yeah, I think that it's it's a lot easier for somebody to be understanding of the fact that you hadn't been with another woman before. More understanding about that than about you lying to them. Nobody, nobody likes to be lied to. And sometimes you just have to come clean. I always think the sooner, the better. I went into a relationship with a lie once and I thought that the lie didn't really matter and it wouldn't affect the relationship as long as that person never found out. Well, it came out and it was a big fucking mess. And Mm. I'm not saying that to scare you because my... My lie was bigger than your lie, but... Uh, oh, I think I know the story, yeah. and it was uh, 10 times yeah. your lie. <laughs> That's why I'm not going to rehash it. I've told it before, but it also sucks that you felt that you had to lie, and any seasoned Susans out there, seasoned queer women, don't make people feel that way. Like that. This is the pressure we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Let's not <laughs> pressure people. Let's be more understanding when it's somebody's first, you know, don't look at someone weird when they tell you that it's their first time. Don't shame anybody for their experiences or lack thereof. And that's what put you in this situation. And I think if you're honest about that, then, you know, if you guys love each other, she should be understanding. And from here on out, no more lies. Even if you think they're insignificant. (laughs) No, just never lie. Okay. So, so tell the truth moving forward, Uh, best of luck. And I wish you to much queer happiness. Yes. Okay. You Listeners should be following us on social media. We're posting all sorts of content. Wow, was the the comments in our last episode post with Desiree Akavan thrilling to read? Yeah. Sometimes, if you follow us on Instagram, you can comment on the post, and sometimes the guests will comment back. <laughs> Start a real dialogue. Yeah, yeah. Just really create a relationship there. So follow us on Instagram at Diking Out. We're also putting stuff on Facebook, on Twitter. Trying to keep it light on the social medias, trying to keep it queer. You can follow me at TGI Carolyn on Twitter if you want to read my angry tweets. You can follow me at Melody Kamali if you just want to stare at the one tweet that's been hanging there for like a month and it's just a picture of the cast of Now and Then. So if you want to do that, <laughs> if you want, that should be your whole there. feed, Melody. It should just be different <laughs> just, pictures from Now and Then. I need to tweet. Why is it so hard for me? And normally I'd be like, I don't tweet. I'm going to write that into a stand up joke. There's no stand up right now. I should be tweeting. Yeah, get on it. Tweet. I'm going to bully you into it. Okay. And yeah, tune in next week for another exciting episode of Diking Out. Thank you, all of you Susans. Love you all. Make the world a better place, please. Black Lives Matter. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. 
Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.